Hi, you're listening to The Retail Perch with Shekha Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Today, we're excited. We have a couple of guests on the show, retailers finally on the show. You know, we've been talking up a storm here past several episodes about retail, but it's finally great to hear some input from retailers. And, you know, we have some of our favorite retailers here on the show, uh, Coburn's, uh, and I'll let Dennis and Diana introduce themselves, maybe give a quick background. But folks, we're just going to be mostly covering technology from the retailer's perspective, the challenges, all the exciting things that are coming their way, and look at it through their lens. You know, maybe a bunch of entrepreneurs out there will get some insights and come up with some new ideas. Go for it. Uh, I think these two are some of the most experienced people. Thank you for joining the show. And Dennis, over to you. Well, hey, Shaker and Gary, good to be with you this afternoon. Thanks for inviting us. I'm Dennis Host, Vice President of Marketing for Coburn's. I've been here about 10 years or just over 10 years. I oversee all of the marketing operation for our entire company, which includes four retail grocery banners, as well as pharmacies, fuel stations, liquor stores, and, and a number of other odds and ends. We have 60 grocery stores across Wisconsin, Minnesota, North Dakota, and South Dakota. And I oversee all of the social, digital, uh, traditional media advertising. And about five years ago or so, we started dappling into what, what a loyalty program would look like to better understand the nuances of our guests and their shopping patterns and whatnot. And that's what led us to Bird's Eye. And at that time, Diana was in a different role, and I tapped her to move into the director of loyalty role, of which she oversees for our company, which is a very, very big couple of shoes that she fills. Diana. Hi, everyone. Shaker Gary, thanks for having us. Diana Parr, director of loyalty and digital marketing, as Dennis said, and with Coburn for about eight and a half years, followed uh, Dennis uh, shortly after he began his career and, and moving up through the ranks and really delighted to be here to, to share our experience in, in loyalty marketing and all that we've gone through. Really love my job and what I get most excited about is understanding consumer behavior through data. So I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that more here in a bit. Uh, well, let's get right into it. You know, obviously we live in very, very interesting times. The last eight months has kind of changed the world completely on its head. And Gary, I don't know if you have any questions here, but I'd love to ask you guys, what's different about this September than last September? <laughs> oh, wow. It is a significantly different world than we live in now. Yes. A year ago, we were struggling in some capacities with sales as, you know, this is a razor thin margin business and there is a lot of competition. And in the new world that we live in, where we're measuring consumer sentiment and purchase habits and all of that, and we we bucket our customers into into three distinct shopper segments: primary, secondaries, and tertiaries. And a year ago, we were actually kind of lagging behind in our most or our best guests, actually, um, in building that loyalty. And there were a number of reasons for that, and I won't go into them because they they do in a roundabout way sound like excuses, and I don't like making excuses by any stretch of the imagination, but we were kind of feeling like we were losing a little bit of traction there. We came around the corner at the end of the year, and who knew that in March this thing would start to bubble up, or early February, this pandemic, and by early March, we sent our entire team to work remotely, 
and the world changed significantly. Bricks and mortar was still a thing, but consumers demand and, and still do demand a different shopping experience that makes them feel safe. Our online business trajectory went straight up very, very quickly in March, kind of stayed in there in April and has since kind of tapered back to a new level, but still significantly above last year. Our primaries came back to us. We're starting to see a little bit of slide back on that a little bit as people have become a little bit more comfortable in being out and about. And there are other options and restaurants are kind of back open and whatnot. But yeah, a different world from a year ago for sure. Wow. What about you, Diana? Yeah, uh, just some things we've seen consistently over the last six months to Dennis's point. Back in March and April, uh, our primaries were really back in our stores as customer loyalty really focused in, because as Dennis alluded to, whereas customers prior to the pandemic were maybe shopping three, four different stores to get different products that they needed, people decided they really only wanted to go to one spot. So we really saw those primary customers become even more loyal to us. That has uh, tapered off a little bit as people have gotten more comfortable. Um, the other thing we've seen is people are shopping less, so less trips on average. But the, when those trips are, are being made, the expenditure, the per basket, the number of items in the basket and the basket is larger. So we're seeing people come less frequently, but when they are showing up, they are they're stocking up. And so certainly that behavior is very different than it was last September. So what have you seen happen with digital engagement uh, with shoppers? Staying the same? Have you seen that grow? And by that, I mean, you know, the number, percentage, the so on of shoppers you're digitally engaged with. Yeah. So uh, Gary, it, it, digital engagement has gone up significantly. And, and Dennis always speculates that where we are currently in digital engagement, probably without a pandemic, would have taken us three to four years to get to. We're seeing it both on the consumer side. So the number of digital offers being clipped, the number of downloads has increased. The number of downloads of our app has increased over the last six months. So it's both from the consumer demand, and then it's also been very interesting. We partner with a lot of our vendors to put out shopper marketing programs on their behalf. And I just shared uh, broadly with the organization on Friday that in 2019, we did seven shopper marketing campaigns. And since June, so the last three months, we've done 15. Wow. And we have 15, we have eight more confirmed, seven more in the works. And I continue to get daily inquiries from our vendors interested in looking into connecting with our shoppers in digital methods. And Dennis, you can talk about how we're now, the pandemic has had an impact on print, and now we're trying to, to supplement that, that through digital methods. Yeah, before I get to that, and thanks, Diana, that's a good point. Um, before I get to that, one area that we're seeing, too, is, a, is an increase in digital coupon usage and just the... Uh, ways that customers are looking to save money, you know, with the economy being a little less certain and more unemployment and whatever, certainly customers are being a bit more cautious about their spending. And so we've seen significant digital upticks or engagement in that as well. As Diana referenced, the print world has changed seismically since March. We've had a number of print partners that have actually gone out of business. TMCs wow. that were primary distribution channels for us that are no longer there. 
and others, you know, the print industry has been facing challenges even long before the pandemic started. So we've started a process of what we call digital optimization. So we've looked at where we get the most sales impact, where we are distributing our print ad, and we've put some baseline metrics on what that threshold needs to be in order for us to continue distributing that print ad in a particular zip code or whatever. And if it doesn't meet that threshold, we are now turning that to digital and actually shifting our marketing investment out of print in key strategic areas. And we're doing this hmm. slowly and methodically and very surgically, but we are now serving up those zip codes that may produce less sales for us underneath that threshold with digital ads. And so far, the response and the click-through rates and the engagement on that have been very, very favorable. So we're starting to kind of move and transition, certainly not completely away from print, but we've had to move dollars to optimize or maximize our investment to still get the largest number of eyeballs that we possibly can to see our, to see our marketing in any given week. But as print distribution and readership decreases, we have to use digital channels in order to do that. And so over the last probably four months or so, we've started that process. So how many of these changes, uh, Dennis, Dan, do you think you've been forced to do because of the situation now, but they were on the roadmap, but they've kind of hurried up and said, like, this is the time to do it. Yeah, I think- And do you think some of these changes will stay with you? Yes, I do. As Diana mentioned, I've, I've kind of been saying, I think where we have advanced in our leaping forward or leaning into digital happened over the last four or five months where I thought it was probably going to take us another three or four years to get there. So the speed wow. at which we've moved into digital, and we're not all the way there yet. It was on our roadmap. It just, this just kind of kicked us a little bit into gear to make that happen. But I think where most retailers probably thought, you know, this, this migration from print to digital was still a ways out. And I'm not saying that we're going to completely abandon that. I don't see that happening yet for a while. But we certainly have made a very sharp turn in leaning in towards digital that I really didn't think would probably happen for another couple of years yet. You know, I know not everybody's a dentist host in Diana Barr, but I think most retailers out there would want to make that change as fast. Is that something that you would say, well, if you've not done it so far, this you better do it now? Well, I think you got to be looking at it. Absolutely. You know, as we see what's happening, particularly with print distribution, and for a lot of old time grocers, that print ad is still the bread and butter and is still seen in that way. But just yeah. pay attention to how you consume media yourself and where you go to find marketing messages and advertising and whatever, it's it's all very much digital. That print ad still is key, but it's becoming less important as time marches on. So I'm curious, how does it shift to more and more digital playing out internally, you know, across Coburn's organization and, and culture? I know other retailers I, I've talked to or worked with in the past, um, you know, they, they sort of speak to the importance of digital, but it's still all about their printed weekly flyer and especially the advertising folks, but especially the merchandising folks, you know, have never seemed to really fully embrace digital. I'm curious how you guys are finding that. Sure. I'm going to let Diana speak to our kind of our recent staff shifts that we have made with just our own talent 
as well as touch a little bit just on how we've really leaned into e-com and how our category team has been forced really to embrace that based on a lot of changes that we made last year leading into this. So I'll let Diana cover those two topics. For our internal structure, we actually just reassigned a staff member who was working on a print ad, and we recognized that he had digital skills as he's been assisting us with this digital optimization product. And he is now a full-time digital person. So we've even moved uh, resources uh, and team team members to align with how this digital acceler- acceleration has been has been happening. And from the category side, I think actually that word has gotten out that uh, these digital offers really can be successful. And I think that's the increase in interest because the our category team has been selling it to our vendor partners and showing the results that we've achieved in the past. So with those successful case histories behind them, it's an easy sell to to our vendor partners. But then, yes, as far as e-com, we have a lot of priorities going on there and a lot of opportunities uh, for enhancements. And I think this has definitely uncovered uh, some of our pain points that maybe existed prior to the pandemic, but just weren't as big of a deal because we we weren't seeing the volume of orders there. So we've been having to, to resolve those. However, Dennis and I share the sentiment that we're very thankful that we really had for the majority, again, we ha- we have our, our opportunities for improvement, but the big structure was there that when this pandemic hit, we were fairly ready. Uh, I know there's retailers out there that, that don't even offer online shopping and had to right. scramble for some solutions. So we were well positioned to take this on as e-commerce shopping just ratcheted up. Add to that, Gary, too, to your question just about our category team and and specific to our loyalty program and the work that we've done with Birdseye, the way we now segment our shoppers and know our shoppers and what they buy and what that basket size is and what they're spending on and the categories that they're in or not in, we have spent a lot of time educating and bringing our category team up to speed on understanding our shopper segments and so that very much is right at their fingertips of, of really every decision and every conversation that they have, either with a vendor, which is how you're seeing these shopper marketing offers starting to manifest in the work mm-hmm. that Diana is, is doing there. But they are also using all of this data we have now in understanding our shoppers to make category decisions and to understand what promotions are effective and pricing nuances and all of those sorts of of things. We still have work to do there too. But when we talk about primary shoppers and secondary shoppers, every single person in this building who's working either in merchandising or marketing knows what we're talking about. Can I just elaborate a little bit more? That was a funny exercise that the pandemic brought about too is what consumers really wanted because we saw a ton of switching, a ton of substituting that when shelves got there, people were willing to take a gluten-free pizza, which they would never have purchased prior, but there was no other frozen pizza. So they will take a gluten-free pizza. 
And the kind of big joke is anything that was really left on the shelves probably should not have been there <laughs> at all because if people weren't willing to take it in a panic <laughs> mode, <laughs> right. if it's so bad that they didn't want it in a panic, it should have gotten cut. But so this uh, is basically yes, the experiment are... that you always wanted to run, but you could never run. Skew <laughs> <laughs> oh, ration, naturalization of skew rationalism. Yeah, yes. Right. I mean, not to minimize what's <laughs> yeah. going on in the world, but you know, clearly people have had to adapt but it's amazing i think because people tend to think that you know this is like an aha moment you realize that okay digital is important and overnight you can switch but clearly you guys have been on a journey that's taken years to kind of get to this point mm -hmm. today and i want to kind of see if you can rewind back and go back five years when you started to think about you know coverage has been, been in business for many years right what made your switch to loyalty? Why did you suddenly think that, okay, we've got to get into the loyalty game and put together this proper fashion? Sure, I'll start and then I'll let Diana finish here. So when I came to the company 10 years ago, I started in e-com and we saw what data could do in that world and in that environment where we had every customer's name and their email address and their contact information but we also had all of their shopping history and we knew what they bought and whatever and it was really science meeting art in terms of data and then how do you use that data to communicate and nurture your customers along in that online journey specifically or exclusively where i first started here when i then came back to the corporate office here we started talking about how that data really can can help steer the business. And so we started talking about a loyalty program. And obviously there are a lot of retailers that have paved the way. We certainly have not done that by any stretch of the imagination, but we learned a lot and researched a lot and did a lot of understanding of other programs and what worked and what didn't work. But the real goal was how do we more intimately understand our customers? And what are they shopping for and where are they shopping and how frequently are they shopping and are they big spenders or are they not and prior to this we knew none of that it was gut feel and it was put that print ad out on the street and then just let it run for a week and count the money at the end of the week the grocery business has gotten much more complex over these last several years and so it took us a while to vet the right program and find the right partners to help us build this program. And then how do we take that data and, and leverage it in what we know and understand? And that's where Diana really, her strengths lie in peeling back that data onion, if you will, to understand what's going on there. So we launched the program in the fall or midsummer actually of 2017 in a couple of pilot stores with kind of a first out of the gate program. And then we learned some things very quickly uh, within two or three months, decided, you know what, maybe we need to pivot just ever so slightly and change this up based on what we had learned very quickly. We do a lot of test and learn. You hear that from us a lot. And then we slowly started rolling out the program in the fall of 16 into the spring of 20 or early spring of 2017. And the first year, pretty much that first kind of year and a half was all just about building the base and getting customers onto the program. And you have to have a lengthy runway of data to be able to start to peel that back and understand what shoppers are doing. So that's how we got it going. And then from there, it just kind of matured and we started adding various value adds to the program and whatnot. 
But now we're to the point and probably have been for probably the last two years where we really now have put the rubber to the road in, in leveraging that data and how do we use that data to nurture our shoppers along, to retain our customers, to send offers to migrate customers who have migrated down in a segment. We started the whole weekly personalization thing, leveraging the bird's eye platform where every single week, one of our all of our guests get an email personalized specifically to their purchase history in real time. And we send out upwards of 300,000 of those every single week, and they're all different. But I'll let Diana speak to just the other ways that we use this data to kind of help inform our ad process. So in other words, Dennis, you were flying blind before, but now you can see. Yes, absolutely. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> that's yeah. actually, yeah, that's that's what I was going to say is uh, just imagine a pilot, uh, you know, in a cockpit, not having any instruments at his or her disposal. And how do you decide what your altitude is? And you need to have that that information. So it's it's very rewarding to be able to pull these different marketing levers, you know, to Dennis's point of test and learn and see what happens. and. I do passionately when we talk to to people both internally and externally that uh, I know some people get worried about the you know invasion of privacy or you're collecting my data, and I really feel strongly that you know we are using this for good. We're trying to make your shopping experience better. We want to give you better offers. We want to give you more relevant savings. We want you to come in in our store and enjoy it and have the products that you want to see. So. Uh, it really all around the the goal here is to make a better shopping experience for you. I, I'm curious, looking ahead, say two years, five years, where do you see yourselves? Where do you see this space going? Oh, wow. That's a great question, Gary. <laughs> I can't see past three o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we will continue. We have to get even more sophisticated and better at tuning the data. There is so much there, and are we pulling the right data? Are we leveraging it in the right ways to truly grow sales and build loyalty? We focus largely on our primaries. We focus secondarily on our secondaries um, to nurture them up. We've just switched to a whole new email platform that I think we'll be able to tune up and dial in even more in far more sophisticated ways than we have in the past. I think we will just continue to evolve and dial and fine tune all of this data to better understand and, and use it to truly grow and drive sales. It's very difficult to quantify that and that contribution to sales. And we're very much never satisfied. We don't ever want to rest on our laurels. We always want to be growing and adding extra value to the program that makes our shoppers more loyal to us. And data certainly is the avenue by which we get there to Diana's point in just how do we make your shopping trip with us the absolute most relevant that it can possibly be using data. Now, certainly there are a lot of other things around that experience that we don't control in marketing, you know, store conditions and, you know, assortment and all the things that our shoppers want to buy. But we're certainly using our data even to inform those decisions mm -hmm. along the way. So. I often sit back and think, I don't know how customer or grocers, retailers who are not in this space, how they're doing it. Data is just 
such a terrific resource in your back pocket to leverage and understand your shoppers. And if you don't have that, you're just really, really handcuffed. Uh, I would like to see us get uh, to Dennis's point. I know personalization has been thrown out there for you know three to five years, so that's a really an old concept. But I feel like there's more opportunity and, and projects that we're working on with you guys at Bird's Eye is to get even deeper into that personalization. And then uh, I see that probably the biggest opportunity is not only the data that's available, but the automation and the machine learning is out there. So there really shouldn't be places for doing manual work anymore. There is enough uh, data out there and enough big machines out there to be able to run these processes to make very intelligent marketing strategies and decisions without the intervention of uh, too many humans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, we talk about that, you know, in terms of actionable insights and automated marketing, right? So you want insights mm-hmm. that are surfaced to you and you just saying, yes, yes, yes. And it goes off and does its thing and gets you the results back. And, you know, we call it Godfather marketing on our end. You know, you're just pointing. <laughs> there you go. I love it. <laughs> Make it so. Notion of just artificial intelligence and just how that all works is is fascinating. Fascinating. Um, yes. It's it is so key. You know, and you start to see that now, in particular, as we're nudging closer and closer to an election. I'm just fascinated by how. I'm served these ads and these messages, and how do they know this stuff about me? And and whatnot. And um, it's just data just is so rich in what it's able to do. And, and the more we can make it automated, and less manual, the more, I think even the more effective and the more efficient it is, obviously, but it's, it, it just takes time to grow that and, and, and get there. It just takes a lot of, a lot of patience, number one, a lot right. of data, number two, and just a lot of smart partners that can help us kind of leverage this foray into this much richer world we're going into. Right. So Dennis, you know, obviously, you know, in my day job, I, you know, we're working with data, we're working with algorithms, all this stuff is exciting, but, you know, I'm fascinated by organizationally, there needs to be some executive will and some corporate direction to actually implement and use this and, and channel the energies of your team to move to a direction in this form. You know, so you have, let's say you have a retailer who's contemplating loyalty and who's listening to this, right? I mean, organizationally, what do they have to do to actually, you know, there's companies like us and around who have amazing technology, but to put that to use requires a different level of will in, internally in the organization, right? What have you done in your team? And how, what's the composition that you think is ideal to take advantage of some of these technologies? Sure. Well, first and foremost, it obviously starts at the top. And, and our CEO has been incredibly committed and, and is very passionate about this and very driven to make sure that we're leveraging this. This is not cheap for us to, to be in this. We have invested a lot of resources to build the technology platform. We've put people and staff in place. So this very significant commitment really does have to happen at the top level of the organization to buy into and know that this can steer the organization to grow sales. And who wouldn't want to spend a little to make a little in an ultra competitive industry and so how retailers today analyze their CapEx or what, the, what their investments are in technology and human capital and whatnot is really, really important. But you really have to have that commitment from the top and that understanding that this is where 
and that um, strategic steering of the organization to say there, there really are no options. There are no questions about our commitment to this as an organization. We are in it to win it, and we are, we are committed to this with human resources and with technology resources and investing in partners. So I think if I had to fight this battle myself with my CEO or with our operations team or with our merchandising team that, that Diana and I were out there pushing this agenda all by ourselves, we would struggle. This is a top-down commitment from end to end within this organization. And that has really helped drive the successes that we've had in, in building and in growing the program. You just have to have that, that top level commitment to knowing and understanding your customers and what business operator wouldn't want to know that about their customers to help drive their sales and shape the future of their organization. Right, right. And Diana, what challenges have you seen in terms of kind of turning the ship in the direction and making it point in the direction you want to go? Grocery has been done a certain way for a long time. And to Dennis's point, this is data that we we never had before. So encouraging someone to step away or look differently at something that they've been doing the same way for a very long time can be a big ask. But I just, uh, I try to be patient and can just continue the message. And eventually, you know, as it is with this shopper marketing uh, campaigns and the popularity of those, it just kind of takes a couple of wins to see that why this is valuable and why this can make such a difference. And then I find that the, their conversion over is very swift after that. So what's the feedback from your guests? I mean, I'm sure you, you talk to your guests a lot who are visiting your stores. Uh, and how do you take that into account in your overall strategy and direction here? Well, when something doesn't work, we certainly hear about it. When their coupons aren't redeeming, we hear about it. I will be very curious to hear, and, and you referenced before we got on the blog here, this partnership that we have with Retail Feedback Group, another partner, uh, um, and, and between their, their um, expertise and your expertise and us as the customer, this sort of three-legged stool, we're even getting a little further into that in, in hearing that feedback from our customers. Certainly our loyal customers, our best customers are, are loyal to us and they appreciate all that we do. They probably also are our most critical customers. And I think we will see that in the data. So it's, it's putting those measuring sticks and those, those key performance indicators all along the journey in place so that you do hear and do tune into that customer feedback to understand what it is that they're telling you because all this work that we're doing if it's if they're not responding we're just spending a lot of time spinning our wheels here or whatever so we very much are in tune with our shoppers and what they're telling us to the point where we actually have a full-on call center as part of our partnership and the structure that we have within the company here that that hears and is that sounding board for our customers and responds to them, usually within 24 hours of a customer reaching out to us with some issue or whatever, hmm. we are right back at them to resolve that for them because we know it's important. So I would say overall, um, the underpinning value proposition of our program is a fuel reward program, and, and that is very, very popular, and, and our guests have redeemed, we got to be getting near $20 million in fuel redemption since wow. we launched the program that our guests have taken advantage of, and 
and actually some of them even kind of game it and try to figure out or try to position and save their rewards to pay the absolute least amount on their fuel fill up. <laughs> Um, so right. we know they appreciate that piece of it for sure, as well as all the other things that we have added value to um, along the way because our customers have asked for it. Sounds like you've also gotten good acceptance from the vendor community, Diana, from you know the number of shopper marketing programs uh, that, that you're running and so on. Uh, so your vendors are increasingly supportive of this direction in, uh, that you're moving? They are. And we've been working with another third party on our analytics and they actually source our data out. It's a pay to play type model, but we're working together. So we're kind of all singing from the same music that, you know, when we're talking to them about promotions that resonate with the primary customers and they're able to see that data, it's not just sales data. It's, you know, how is this performed to the customers that we care the most about? It's, again, been a process and uh, continues to have work and, you know, supply and demand. We need to be demanding it from our vendors and, and they right. need to supply it and so forth. It does really help level the playing field on, you know, really how is business performing to those guests that, that we care about. So we have a number of CPGs that license our data and then review that data in terms of their sales performances hmm. is working in our stores with our customers. So I'm going to put you guys through a little exercise here. So a couple of episodes before Gary and I sat here and we conjectured what the future of grocery or the supermarket is going to look like. And I'm going to ask you the same question. So if you fast forward, you know, two, three years, what do you see going into the store? What do you see changing? Do you see anything changing? Wow, that's a great question. Um, you know, and I do lay awake thinking about these things every now and then or whatever. I think I think the pandemic has even brought on some things that have changed already that I think will stick. Certainly consumers are shopping differently. And I don't know how long this will last, this sort of new normal that we're in with families who are educating, you know, doing more homeschooling because of distance learning and whatever. So I think meals and meal planning and grab and go will continue to be a trend. I think there will be uh, a bit less touch. I'm not sure salad bars and maybe even hot bars that are serve yourself will come back. I don't know that yet, but I think the whole continued trend of fresh still being a, a big thing, I think will continue to be the case. Consumers, I think, demand a bit less touch. Obviously, the safety protocols that we've put in place, I think, will stick for a while. I think e-com will continue to grow at rapid pace. Um, we have to work at that, too, especially when we kind of come back to a new normal. You know, how do we position ourselves against restaurants, and what does that look like in the future? How do we, how do we serve up more personalized opportunities for our guests or deals and whatnot when they actually get to the door and how do we use technology to do that? You know, what are the sort of the digital tricks even inside the bricks and mortar experience that, you know, customers are just so connected to that thing in their hand, their phone, and how do we leverage technology to even engage them more so than they have uh, already? God, I wish I had a crystal ball. A lot has changed. A lot has changed faster than I thought it was going to. But I, I, I do think there will be a continued desire for quick, convenient, cleanliness standards and, and fresh and grab and go. I think those will continue to just grow as time goes. 
You know what I want to know? I want to know when Coburn's going to have its own drone delivery program. <laughs> drone <laughs> delivery. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, you know, that, that's what they're talking about. I, I think yeah. Amazon just got approved by the FAA to have its own drone delivery yeah. distribution. And, uh, you know, I'm just thinking I can go on my app and order something and 15 minutes later, something is buzzing by and just... Uh, Drops it off. Grocery, groceries <laughs> my front door, and yeah, you know yeah. I'm ready, you know, yeah. to go. And, we, and we've found our way through recognizing that many times strategic partnerships are are key to our success, rather than trying to reinvent a we or invent a wheel by ourselves. So we're dabbling in a number of delivery test and learn things mm -hmm. with with vendors out there with, great. you know, restaurant style delivery from our delis or, you know, paired that up with grocery delivery. You know, I want to order a pizza or I want to order a, a chicken shack meal tonight for dinner, but could you also bring this, this, and this with my right. groceries, liquor delivery, um, you know, online cake ordering or custom ordering from our delis and whatnot. Yeah. I'm not sure we could deliver Diana's a, a big aficionado of, of cupcakes. I'm not sure that I'll be able to get cupcakes <laughs> to her doorstep via a drone quite yet. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Well, that should be a piece of cake, right? Yeah. <laughs> <I'm> yeah. Just... <laughs> no. Okay. You'll be uh, here all week, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. Diana, do you have any, uh, any thoughts of your own in the future? No, I, I think to just elaborate on Dennis's point, you know, six months ago, I kind of would have said that center store influence, you know, kind of your true grocery was declining. And now with, you know, pandemic buying, we've, we've seen that reverse, but I do think it will get back into the idea of, of wanting fresh foods. And I do think uh, eventually um, kind of national brands might, they probably don't want to hear this, but have a little less influence than they do now as mm -hmm. uh, stores get really strategic about differentiating themselves and offering private label exclusive uh, items that you can't find every, anywhere else. I think uh, maybe national brands have done themselves a disservice. You know, you can buy a, a yellow box of cereal at Fleet Farm these days. So uh, to really make sure we differentiate ourselves as a, as a grocery store, we wanted to be offering those signature items. So we'll, we'll be uh, ramping those up as we as we go forward here, awesome. but uh, it will be nice to get back into that that fresh offerings to to Dennis's point. Whether salad bar comes back, hopefully it will. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I miss the hot food in my grocery store. Actually, yeah. honestly, you know, so yeah, I really do. Gary, any any last minute question? Uh, no, I, I this has been a great discussion. I want to thank you both for sharing your uh, thoughts and insights here. You know, around the journey you've been on, and and also looking forward some of the things you. Uh, Think may be happening here in the future and you know i'm sure some of our listeners said i wish you'd ask this question and i wish you'd ask that question but you know what if you get enough questions back we'll do something to get diana and dennis back on the show here and then yeah. answer some of your questions but it's been fantastic chatting with you guys uh, time flew by i just didn't even realize i looked up the clock and said oh my god thanks for having us today we always enjoy sharing uh, our our challenges um, but certainly we enjoy sharing our successes as well. So uh, and we certainly appreciate the partnership that we have with, with Birdseye from, from our little perch here in, in central Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Diana. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. 
And this is Gary signing off.